Good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PL Monthly Business Book Review Club. I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. The Monthly Business Book Review Club is sponsored by the Carroll Consultancy, who are focused on dramatically developing people, performance, and profits. So if you'd like to accelerate your business growth in 2022, go to carrollconsultancy.com or connect via the links in the notes that accompany this podcast. We believe business needs a new PL one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Today on the new PL Business Book Review Club, we are reviewing the brilliant new book, Culture for the Left-Brained Leader by Dr. Andrew Kim. Andrew is the co-founder of Culture and Strategy, an advisory business that helps scale-ups and fast-growing companies navigate their growth journey. He specializes in a synchronized approach to strategy and culture, a complex interaction between two business topics that are very difficult to navigate. Drawing on his own extensive experience guiding businesses through strategic cultural transformations, Andrew's new book walks business leaders and management through a series of methodical processes, techniques, and programs to help them rebuild powerful cultures at the heart of their business. So Andrew, a very warm welcome to the new PL Business Book Review Club. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, Paul. Always looking forward to sharing, sharing the book and some thoughts and ideas. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, It'd be great to start the conversation, I think, with you just giving listeners a bit of an overview as to what you do and who you do it for, and then we'll come on to the book itself. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I suppose, uh, as, as a book kind of mentions, um, Culture for the Left Brain Leader, I'm a left brain leader, someone who sees a world through systems and processes, and I know I'm not the only one out there who, mm-hmm. are, who is like that. So basically... What I've come to realize along my business journey is the fact that it's not just about systems and processes. In fact, that's what I thought it, it was all about when I embarked upon my entrepreneurship journey. I came to realize that it's, there's a lot more intangible elements to it as well too. Mm-hmm. And so part of what we do is kind of help companies or other leaders make similar realizations to unlock their potential. Basically, I'm a, my original training and background is actually in, in uh, periodontics and an MBA. Right. I, I was there. I owned a rapidly growing business, then tried to scale that further. And it did really well in the beginning, but when you try to grow and, and everything doesn't come together nicely, whether it's the mm-hmm. demand um, for the revenue or the team working together in order to have everything run smoothly. I thought it was just about having a well-oiled machine with all the instructions in place and quality assurance. It did work again, but when you scale, there comes a certain point where you can't keep an eye on everything anymore because your systems and processes pretty much you have, you locked yourself maintaining those. Mm. (laughs) And so it became too many systems and processes to monitor and maintain and your expenses go up as well too. So I was there, I was healthy, 
healthy cash flows and then red all of a sudden. I still remember it. Losing resonance with customers, uh, losing resonance with employees, bleeding tens mm-hmm. of thousands of dollars a month, not knowing when that was going to end. And I remember it, it actually took a realization moment, hitting that brick wall, because I used to try to solve it with adding more systems and processes on top of what I already had. <laughs> you can imagine how that turned out. <laughs> and the turning point was, I remember I had a conversation with my wife who was pregnant with our boy at that moment. It's just like, we're not in a great situation. I, I remember just like getting down my knees, like, look, we're not in a great situation here. And it really got my mind to start looking for alternative solutions. And that's when I realized it was something else. It was actually a culture transformation that completely flipped around my situation, broke past my plateau, the quality of service restored and the and resonance with the team was got restored as well too. And part of it is just to share that story. Along the way, I kind of reverse engineered pretty much uh, with MVSL systems uh, on how to replicate that journey. Because one of the challenges that I found was that it's not well laid out. I was using a business consultant slash coach at that moment, and it was framed under the idea of leadership. And leadership is very important. However, there's a lot of other moving pieces to it. So basically, I wanted to share that journey to help other businesses walk that path to discover what their potential is as well to whether it's trying to grow further, whether it's to recapture their lives again or the reason why they got into business. Yeah, yeah. So that you draw a, a very direct line between culture and productivity as the sort of the underpinning foundation for the book. And the, I guess there's a fine line when it comes to culture as a foundation for greater productivity, because I guess it depends on who is defining what constitutes productivity and what level of productivity is acceptable or desired and by whom, so to speak. So how does a leader ensure that the culture she or he is building is one based on a positive approach to productivity and not one that is either driving staff too hard? You know, what are the nuances underneath the headline, if you like? Oh, there's a lot of nuances. First of all, I think it's important to make a realization that productivity and the people slash culture, as you will, are not antagonistic. See, on surface Mm -hmm. level, you think that it's antagonistic, meaning that if you want to be more goal-oriented, you have to sacrifice the people element. And sometimes some people think the other way around as well, too. It's actually not. I've come to realization that it's actually a two-dimensional thing going on, where there is productivity and and synergistic collaboration that is possible. You see, we get trapped in a mindset that productivity and people are antagonistic because of a traditional hierarchical mentality of doing business. And though that, that was a very relevant way of doing business for a greater part of history, 
However, especially in today's era, when everything is shifting so rapidly, I feel like there's a new strategy or new pivot that has to happen almost every quarter. <laughs> when, when have we ever lived in an era like that? One thing you realize is companies sometimes have challenges uh, getting people to pivot with them. And part of that is a very hierarchical approach. It's very rigid. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like trying to steer a, a large cruise ship. If you steer it, if, you, if you've ever sailed, uh, if you steer, if you move the tiller on a dinghy, it starts moving and turning within seconds. But if you try to steer a cruise ship, it takes a couple minutes for it to actually start turning. <laughs> so that being said, what culture does is allows us to be a lot more adaptable and flexible, pivot faster. And one of the most important elements of that is to understand that it's not antagonistic. The two can come together and actually unlock a new type of productivity, one that's more agile, something I like to call collaborative synergy. So you, you provide a framework or one of the one of the frameworks in the book you provide is for business culture is one that places people infrastructure first as the first layer upon which to build systems infrastructure. And that's, I guess, counterintuitive to the other traditional way around, which has always been leaders building systems and bringing people into them. So for those who may feel it's counterintuitive, how can they practically, how can a leader practically reorientate their business? particularly when they may have applied the traditional systems infrastructure first model for many, many years? What are the steps they need to take to re-engineer, re reorientate that business? Well, absolutely. Well, the approach through systems and infrastructure, first of all, I can understand and empathize because I was like that. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I've come to realize is people infrastructure does come first. And the reason why is people can adapt the systems and processes. Not only that, when systems and processes are designed, oftentimes it's not designed by people who are in the mix. It's designed from a little, a bit farther away. So that means we have to unlock the potential of the people. Because what mm -hmm. we're trying to do is empower people to be able to adapt and also own the systems and processes. That's one thing that I've seen as I've helped companies. The companies that truly celebrate and are proud of their strong culture, people take ownership of the systems and processes at the ground level. They are aware of the data. They're aware of the various obstacles that are being thrown at them. They're, they're, they're creating solutions, they're collaborate, collaborating on it. They rally the people and get things moving forward. So in a sense, that's why people infrastructure can come first. Of course, the very basic, the foundational systems that keeps a business alive needs to be established first. And of course, any established companies will already have that. However, mm -hmm. to adapt to the modern era, one has to realize that it may be too rigid at this point, in which case, empowering the people who are at the ground level 
And having that healthy environment where they can collaborate and actually create updates safely and in a more effective manner, I believe that's what is that is what is necessary. Yeah, yeah. If we draw a line, as you do in your book, and I mentioned earlier, between successful cultures and more collaborative synergy and agile productivity, how do we measure or quantify the contribution that culture makes when there are, that positive culture makes when there are so many other variables in the mix? Oh, that is a, that is an interesting and tricky question. And the reason why is because the, the idea of data around culture can be very tricky, simply because there are a lot of subjective elements to it. Okay? Um, besides that, um, sometimes the results, they appear in the long-term aspect. But let's just take some elements together, because okay? this is an ongoing debate that I've, I've always had with folks. First of all, if we want to try to at least benchmark and QA um, culture, there's some HR elements that one can look at, okay? For example, retention um, or engagement. However, even that has to be done with a grain of salt, okay? Secondly, some subjective elements. Like, for instance, how, how much do people speak up? Is it pretty broad across the board or is it a few extrovert dominant personalities? Mm -hmm. How much do people come in by referrals? And if one is in a position where they have direct reports, how many escalations come to them? <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> but all in all, we're trying to create growth, higher revenue, so in a long-term aspect, we're also trying to see increased revenue, but not only that, to have both the time stress bandwidth and the financial bandwidth for growth. In fact, if you have those come together, it's almost natural. Mm. When someone has the additional financial and time or, or, um, or, stress bandwidth, they naturally think grow. So it just naturally comes apart in their part of their strategy. That's just how organizations and, and senior leaderships typically work. When they don't have that, it's always, how do we put out the fires? How do we stabilize the situation? So another measure would be, how, how easily and predictable are we in that type of state of situation where we do have that bandwidth to grow? Because if, if when we have reduced escalations and we're reaching our goals and and both the team and uh, delivery of quality to our customers or clients is is there, it's only natural. You talk in your book about some of the conversation around culture in the business discourse. There's a, there's a lot of fluff that sits around the discussion of culture as there is around the discussion of purpose in, in, in my world as well. And that means for businesses like yourselves or for us um, in the purpose world, those whose approach is genuinely rooted in strong empirical foundations, we unfortunately start sometimes in the negative, not 
neutral when you speak to business leaders because you have to undo the perceptions of fluff created by others first before you introduce your approach or your move forward. Can you talk me how, through how you, in your, in your day job, if you like, as in culture and strategy, um, how you work through the, the negative perceptions that some business leaders have of culture to get them back to that position where you can move them forward with positivity? Oh, absolutely. First of all, I think you, you nailed it on the fact that the whole concept of culture is, is not um, very well understood. And so mm -hmm. because of that, oftentimes there is a different challenge that they're up against. It's, it is that challenge that they care about. Because I'll be honest with you, even myself, when I was, when I was in a situation, uh, the leading situations with challenges um, on my table, the last thing I was thinking was culture. In fact, I couldn't make the connection. It took that set of challenges for me to become receptive. And even still, I didn't know that's what I was doing, addressing the culture. I, I thought I was just mm -hmm. holding my management and leadership skills. So really, it's focusing on where that challenge is. And sometimes it takes a while. It, sometimes it takes a few months to actually start making the realizations, oh, we're actually changing how, how our culture is, transforming it to another level. So I, I believe that because of that fluffy um, elements that you're, you speak of, and not only that, some people, when they hear culture, they instantly think rituals, a, a group of people have that's represented from a geographical location. Some people think that, and of mm -hmm. course, the definite since terminology is all over the place there oftentimes it's is with the it's with the the challenges the pain points which can be from resonance with teams resonance with customers sometimes it's uh it's uh retention challenges sometimes yeah. it's just being too stressed <laughs> or preventing a down, downward direction <laughs> So there's a couple of really interesting points in that answer that I want to explore a little yeah. bit more. You um, you touched on the sort of the the more societal-led definition of culture and how that's sometimes drawn into business. And I wanted to get your view on global cultures when it comes to a brand. You know, how does a global brand, I guess, acknowledge and integrate the multiplicity of cultural norms and nuances that exist within a brand's employees right across the world? but still ensure that those core values of a brand itself have relevance, coherence, and purpose at that global level. So how do we marry the individual cultural nuances of a global brand with the, with the core purpose or values of that brand, if you like? Oh, absolutely. And that, that question uh, introduces uh, definitely more elements. Because when a company is national, of course, even within like different states or cities, there's going to be nuances of how things are done. However, it is somewhat easier to uh, to establish uh, a set of values, a set of ways of doing things that can be overall accepted. Once it goes international, now it becomes a lot more challenging. 
challenging because there's time zone differences. There's a lot of subtle nuances that can be interpreted differently. One, a polite gesture can be taken rudely in another. It's uh, the medicine for one is the poison for another. And because of the sheer, the sheer amount of additional obstacles when it comes to that, when there's a company that's international, even it's still good to set some overarching values. But I have come to realize that it still needs to be met in the middle, though, with each mm -hmm. individual country, because they do things differently. They think differently. They organize differently sociologically. And because of that, it still is possible to have something meet in the middle. So it's not completely doing whatever they do. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's pretty much an, a centralized set of way of doing things, culture or values, but within peripheral countries to find something that celebrates both what is what they do over there so that we get some uh, adaptability on their level and also engagement on their front, but also being able to integrate with the overall direction of the organization. Do you, do you think that the subtlety of that challenge is recognized with a lot of global brands? Do you think they realize the, the importance of trying to bring seamlessly bring those two elements together? Or do you think that is somewhat missing in many global brands at the moment that, that bringing together of local traditional nuance and global brand value? Oh, I've seen it from different spectrums. I've seen companies do a phenomenal job at it, at it. and that yeah. is their approach where they have a centralized um, direction by at the same time meeting in the middle. I have seen some that it is not being done that way, in which case they try to push their way of doing things onto the into the country that they're trying to get into, not realizing that that's not going to be received well within that, mm. um, within the mindsets of the people there, both from the employees and also from, also from, uh, from the customers. I mean, we can go on to many <laughs> different examples because I've also um, lived in multiple countries. So mm. I know that it, some countries are extremely much more hierarchical and 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 pretty much um, cla almost class based. Some yes. it's much more centralized decision making and much more architected. Others are much more organic, but then can rally people with a huge burst of um, work that is amazing. What something that you think that would take half a year they they do it in one or two weeks type of thing. <laughs> um, but the, the, there's so many nuances to that, to the point that I do believe that there's companies that's doing it, it very well. And it shows that they're, they're doing very well in terms of their business goals. I've also seen some that perhaps uh, they can adopt this mentality a bit more. Yeah. Who are the most important advocates or ambassadors for culture within a business? I mean, to, to, to look objectively, you would think 
It is the CEO, the president, the, the management team. But are there other more subtle ambassadors that those who are listening today and looking to reintegrate a more positive culture back into their business need to consider? The CEO does need to be bought in. I mean, or, or at least um, if it's like a, such a large company that at least a key senior leader that represents that umbrella of an organization. However, he or she can't do that alone. I also do believe that the rest of the senior leadership team should see eye to eye on that. But one of the most important group of people that sometimes overlooked are the middle managers. And the reason why that middle manager is so important is because they're the ones who have regular and direct interactions and access to the majority of the people. And because yeah. of that, that manager has more influence on the overall experience of the employee than almost everything else in the organization. They're the ones who are deciding whether they should grow them, build a relationship with them, identify their strengths and weaknesses, their aspirations, their, their nuances. They're the ones who are doing that. And because of that, the middle managers uh, also need to see eye to eye on it and where they can play their part because they're really the beacon of the culture for the organization. <laughs> that being said, I also do believe that it's, it's an effort that we all need to play the part. Of course, a momentum needs to be built. But even at the individual uh, contributor level, I also believe that they need to play a role too. And the reason why that's important, uh, an important mindset to establish is because I've seen people, they all wanna join these companies with great cultures. That's because oftentimes more competitive compensation or perks or whatnot. However, they don't really, sometimes the aspect of how do they play their part doesn't get brought up as often. Mm -hmm. They all wanna be a part of it, but then are they willing to play the part? The part means greater ownership. It means that yes. when no one's looking that they, they go the extra mile. It means that, yes, we're, we're gonna have um, challenges throughout the course of our work, but are we willing to overcome the stresses and also the communicational um, nuances that is required of? Are we, willing, are we willing to conceptualize solutions ourselves too? So I believe yes. we all play our part in it. So the, the senior leadership team, the middle management layer, and the individual contributor. Eventually, a critical mass is hit where all this way of doing things becomes the new norm. But it does take a while uh, for, for that to establish itself. What can senior management leaders do in terms of processes, structures, programs that they can implement to ensure that that middle management as a 
key advocate for culture in the business becomes a powerful ambassador for their culture? What can they do to put in place to support the advocacy and the, the importance the middle managers play in that role? All right, excellent uh, question. One of the first things is re-looking at the rhythms or rituals, whatever you like to call it, that you have established. And the reason why is because it's so easy to forget to have critical touch points. I think some of, some of the ones that tend to get overlooked is something I like to call state of the union address or town hall. Mm -hmm. Now these are common practices in these, uh, in, in, in companies that celebrate great culture. It's pretty much an open forum or maybe mixed in with some announcements or just reconciling um, any uh, confusion between uh, various departments or teams or whatnot but also an open forum. Another one is something I like to call cross-pollination where there's a senior leader and multiple teams. It works very well when it's a similar function where they, where they discuss, of course, in, with some updates and um, any updates that are necessary, but also to discuss what worked for them, what didn't work for them, mm -hmm. to get some form of cross-pollination going on. The other one is one-on-ones. And those one-on-ones is for like, between middle managers and the teams, but also for the senior leaderships to the middle managers. Yes. And the reason why that's important is because number one, again, the middle manager with the individual contributor, that, that's, the, that's a chance to, um, rather than just talking about work, just to get to know them a bit more. It's so easy to forget to do this if we don't book it in our calendars. I'm guilty of that myself too. <laughs> but it's also important to do it between senior leadership and middle managers because they're the beacon of it. Naturally, unless we make an intentional effort to manage or lead in this manner, Oftentimes, people default to a very hierarchical, directive, traditional approach to managing. And so because of that, those one-on-ones is an opportunity to align on that as well, too. Now, even if an organization has some of these rhythms in place, if you actually observe how they do it, that can be very different as well too. So it's not just where they do it, it's how they do it as well too. Yeah. You can really yeah. sense the, the atmosphere, the difference, the, the degree of en engagement in them as well too. So re-looking at some of those rhythms, I think is highly beneficial. Again, whether, whether it's being done and how it's being done. There are other elements of course too. Um, and something I, I like to look at the various um, cross functions. The, and the reason why that's important is because, again, um, culture is it's an all in, it's all encompassing for the business. But HR does have some elements to play. In that. They can map out what I like to call the employee experience journey. Because mm -hmm. companies, for the most part, they all have customer experience journeys. But some companies forget to look at the employee experience journey because it's really easy to, if you map it out, it's really easy to 
identify nuanced details room for improvement and and they yes. can see it <laughs> but besides that is again um being open to and relooking some of our processes as well too yeah our business processes if they're extremely rigid and with excessive instructions like tens of pages of instructions then we tend to lose resonance and besides that if everything is for example let's just say scripted then it almost eliminates the human element of the job where one can apply their own personality strengths into the mix so it's also kind of real reassessing some of those elements as well too we can make data more transparent so people can look at it we can uh, try to align incentives a bit more we can make we can look at how quickly our resources can be deployed and processes updated if necessary because some it's actually pretty quick it can literally yeah. be updated very very quickly whereas others it's this uh, bureaucratic several month process again the, my, the, the cruise ship analogy where you steer it just takes a long time for it to do anything so those are just some elements on on that so part of that key to a better employee experience is the synergistic collaboration that you've touched on earlier and you you revisit the theme of collaboration several times in the book. I wondered what collaboration looks like when it is optimized in an organization. You know, what are the key characteristics necessary for collaboration to thrive? We talk a lot about collaboration in business. There's a lot less talk about what optimized collaboration looks like. And I'd love to get your view. Oh, absolutely. Well, collaboration comes in multiple forms. It comes in the form of meeting. It comes throughout the daily course of our work. But let's just take, for instance, an example of a meeting. Let's just say that there is a manager or a leader who wants to push out particular initiatives. And within that meeting now, you have an overall direction, strategic direction you want to take people, but you don't know the details because you're not at the ground level. And you have that meeting and you share with everyone the overall direction that you wanna go, the strategic direction, and you ask for input. But everyone stays silent. And with some awkward pauses. And you ask again some more, maybe with a, a little bit of impatience, but someone speaks up. But it's not the most refined idea that you've heard. And then from there, you say, well, anything else? <laughs> and the room stays silent again. And someone, someone speaks up a, a different idea, one that might work. OK, that's a decent one. And everyone starts agreeing with it. That's probably not the most. Uh, ideal form of collaboration, which typically results in a traditional hierarchical situation. Yeah. Now, let's just take another, let's just spin that around, okay? You come in, you have the strategic direction. They already know what it is. <laughs> 
perhaps you're just giving an update to it, okay? When it's brought up, people are bringing up from their angles what they've been working on, but how they might be able to adapt based upon this next pivot that you want to make. From that angle, there are considerations from the marketing side or from authority for deploying resources on the manager or leader side. We talk about some of those risks and benefits and then someone else starts bringing up their considerations. Oh, if we wanted to, if we want to do that, I may need to do X, Y, Z with my team. I think it's going to require a few weeks to do this. Okay, it might put this other thing on hold. Is that fine? Yes, it is. I mean, do you see how the, the, mm-hmm. the picture is painted differently in how a meeting like that goes? So I hope that uh, at, at least put makes it a bit more tangible how that collaboration can work differently. You can see how people are, t- are, 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 are demonstrating more ownership, engagement, their problem solving. And uh, they probably already worked out the, the communicational and personality differences amongst themselves. They're already somewhat aware of the overall direction. You see, when I mentioned like bringing up the strategy, they already know, they already know the general direction of it. <laughs> I, um, I want to pick up on a point you made a couple of answers back, which I thought was a fantastic point. You, you talked about brilliant great companies with a great culture that everyone's aware of and new employees or people want to be part of that culture but in the process of joining they sometimes don't recognize or or abdicate responsibility for their own role in continuing to grow that culture and and um to to organically grow it i wondered when that reaches a critical mass of people coming in to a business for the culture but they're not subscribing to it or contributing to it what are the first signs that that good company culture is starting to go bad? Well, first of all, um, from what I have seen, at least companies that celebrate good cultures, they have a high filtering me- mechanism because people mm-hmm. are trying to join them. So they're actually trying to size this up during the interview process, whether they are, and they'll use the word good fit. And a lot of people don't uh, have some confusion about what that means, but some of the stuff that I mentioned earlier, they're actually trying to size that up. Now, in the process, that once someone is in the organization, oftentimes I've found them to be somewhat more tolerative. And what I mean by that is that, um, let's just say there is a uh, let's just say there is a misbehavior, okay? Oftentimes, they will try to work on it, give them the benefit of the doubt to see if they can, quote unquote, uh, improve on that element. Mm-hmm. Because they made, through the, made it through the filtering process. However, if it's not working out, then they will take the steps to weed out or prune out people who can, who may make the company culture um, possibly toxic or poison the pond. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it's a whole, it's a whole process that 
that actually maintains a culture. It's the filtering. Because again, everyone wants to join it, but are they willing to do what they need to do to be a part of it? Okay. Yeah. And basically, when someone isn't uh, entirely where they need to be, they, tr they try to work on it in a positive manner, give them the benefit of the doubt okay, to help develop them, the human, the hu and also the human element of it. But if it's really not working out, take the steps. Perhaps it's not a good fit because a single person can actually create a very harmful uh, influence. They can quote unquote poison the pond. Yes. Within our audience for the new PL, we have many, many, many senior leaders and senior management, not executive directors, uh, middle management, and many employees as well. When they've finished listening to this podcast episode, what is your recommendation in terms of the first question they ask themselves when they come off listening to this about? their culture in their business? Where should they start the questioning of their culture and the reevaluation of their culture? Well, first of all, are they thinking about it? Number one, okay. And nowadays I've come to realize that it is on the mind of a lot of businesses, okay. The second thing I recommend is to ask themselves, why now? And the reason why it is important to do it sooner rather than later is because it's in, of today's business climate, it's becoming harder to engage the and retain employees. It's the, the market landscape is shifting very drastically. A lot of companies didn't make it through COVID even before then, through, Due to the techno technological uh, innovations, a lot of companies, even before COVID, weren't making it through. But yet, some other companies are thriving in the midst. In the midst, why are they thriving? And culture actually plays a large part in that. Even if sometimes their solutions looks technology in nature. It's actually the culture that also propagates that technological development. So to ask them, is now the time? And it, and it really should be. Now, let's just say one is willing to start looking into it. I think one of the most important things to reassess is how we start, how we look at the world because I was there. I was a traditional hierarchical systems process mentality person. And, and if I were to speak to my younger self, I don't know if I'd really believe it, to be honest. I think I would, I would question the validity of it. Maybe it might sound a little bit squishy, I think it's really important to assess how it all comes together because there's many layers to this onion. Mm -hmm. And because of that, 
hopefully to open our minds because once our mind opens then it becomes a lot easier to actually get some of these things in place yes it's that mentality that's critical because once the mentality is there the tactical elements become a lot easier and besides that even when your mindset opens up guess what perhaps the rest of the organization didn't yet means that maybe some other other people might not see eye to eye with you it's a journey it's about opening up that mindset and being willing to walk that journey hopefully opening our minds to it before we hit that breaking point because if we do if we become receptive to it at a breaking point which is what it took for me to start looking at it Mm-hmm. there's a chance it might be on the late side. So Andrew, we always end the podcast with guests offering one or two final pieces of advice or wisdom for listeners to take away and think about and apply in their businesses. What would they be from your perspective when it comes to, to culture and to productivity and alignment in business? It's how culture it's actually directly tied to business functions and also the strategy. But the one takeaway is to try to see that early, but beyond that, I think the takeaway that I like to oftentimes conclude with is don't wait until you have no choice but to look at this because it, it, there is a chance it might be too late. Remember, this is, a, this is not an effort that materializes within weeks or a month or two. It takes a bit longer. And because of that, if, we're, if we are experiencing a downward spiral, there's a chance it might not catch it in time. So when things are better, in fact, some companies look at and reassess a culture on, on a growth trend because they, they, they know that it can sustain growth. But it's to see our eyes open to it earlier and work on it earlier because it's so much easier to actually work on it than when we are in our downward spiral. Andrew, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you very much for your time on the new PL. Thanks for having me, Paul. I, I enjoyed sharing some thoughts. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the conversation with Andrew today and would like to learn more about the work he does, please go to cultureandstrategy.com. That's culture, the letter in the word strategy.com. And you'll also find the links to his website, to his LinkedIn profile, and a link to purchase his brilliant new book in the notes that accompany the podcast as well. And please do take a moment to rate us or review us. We genuinely appreciate it. And once again, thank you to the sponsors of the new PL Monthly Business Book Review Club. Please check out carolconsultancy.com if you want to accelerate your business growth in 2022. And finally, if you'd like to join the new PL movement for more principled leadership and more purpose led businesses, then just go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe. And we will keep you up to date on all our latest podcasts and other initiatives. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a great day and speak again soon.